And now, the Houston Football Show with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. Welcome into the Houston Football Show. I'm Jason Braddock along with Aaron Wilson and producing for us this evening, Mark Larson. We're going to jump right into it, foot straight on the gas, no break here, as we only do this once a week, year round. And as training camp kicks off this Friday with the media being able to go out there and start seeing those first couple practices, we wanted to look over the roster, all the latest news that NFL insider for Pro Football Network, Aaron Wilson, is hearing. Aaron, welcome in. And first, First off, let's just get right to it. The uh, Probably the biggest story has to be John Mechie III right now. What's the latest with him? Right, yeah, John Mechie III, very unfortunate. He has been diagnosed with leukemia, and it's a fairly rare form of leukemia. It's called acute promyelocytic leukemia, and there are a 90% cure rate for this type of leukemia especially when it's caught early and it was identified early is my understanding. And he has a really good medical outlook and he's in good spirits. So that's the good news. The bad news, much lesser in the more, you know, grand scale, more important scale of life is that he'll miss this season. Uh, you know, when he said likely it's, you can take it to the bank. Yeah, he's, it's very unlikely that he will be able to play football. And that's not as important right now because you're talking about a young man's health. He was already dealing with the ACL and the recovery from that. And he was really on track, I believe, where he would have played football this season. But now that will be obviously on the back burner. And I had opportunity to talk to Andre Howe, who dealt with lymphoma. And then <clears throat> once his lymphoma was in remission, he resumed his career uh, for eight games, intercepted three passes, and then he decided, you know what, I've lost some passion for this. I want to retire. And he said the big thing that is going to be important for John is your faith, your strength, your confidence, and having a really good circle around you and being very healthy, eating right, getting your rest, and just taking it seriously, which he will. And uh, in talking to people close to John Mechie, uh, and, you know, friends, including his trainer uh, from Tuscaloosa, Christian Michelle, they all say great young man and he's going to fight this very hard and he's going to win. And he's got the support of his teammates. Yeah, he's got everybody behind him. Yeah, it's a great organization, uh, especially in those regards. David Questenberry, talk about uh, Andre Howe. Uh, if on this side of it, like you mentioned, football is so far secondary, especially to a young man's health with this. Love to hear the numbers about the 90% recovery weight rate, and you just uh, hope to see him get better. Uh, we're going to wish him well. We'll examine him in 2023 and just wish the best for his uh, outlet uh, health-wise as it may be. But we're going to move on to another rookie here in Kenyon Green, or let's make that two rookies, Kenyon Green and Derek Stingley Jr., a couple guys that have been banged up a little bit as well. Question is, will they be ready for camp? Uh, what's the latest you're hearing on this? Right, with Kenyon Green, Kenyon Green had, uh, I believe, a foot deal, and you know, he was limited during some of the early work. And then by the time they were done with the mini camp, he was out there with the first team playing left guard. And 
I thought he looked very good. And they just wanted to bring him along slowly, really make sure that he was okay, had his feet underneath him before they plugged him in. And now I expect him to enter training camp 100% and ready to go. On Derek Stingley, they had no full team drills for him. It was all individual because he had had that Liz Frank foot surgery and he had proven that he'd gotten his speed back. Everything I saw from him was that he could plant firmly, be explosive, break on the football. You couldn't tell that the left foot had been surgically repaired just watching him. Obviously, some of that is mental. You know, how do you feel about it? What's the confidence level like for Derek Stingley Jr.? But they would not have drafted him third overall if they had significant medical concerns with him. And so that's why they chose him over Sauce Gardner. Right. They brought in for visits, you know, just like they did with Stingley. And they made a choice that this was the football player that they preferred. And it's been explained to me a bunch of times. They're banking on the higher ceiling and the better traits as opposed to where I think you could make some argument that Sauce Gardner is healthier and has a sort of a longer history of durability. I would right. give, give him higher grades for durability and maybe because of availability, perhaps I could say his floor is it just his basement or whatever you want to call it. Right. Makes sense. Is, is there, but this basement for Stingley is much lower because maybe he's, you know, because of his health, you know, history, you have to worry, is he going to be on the field? Now, you mentioned yeah, Stingley's medical there, and, yeah. and I'm curious, with you mentioning the medical there, uh, they felt so comfortable, like you said, I think they surprised Vegas and a lot of people, uh, present company included, just not for talent, obviously, just because of the injury concerns and what we heard, uh, heard leading up to the draft and with how much other teams were concerned with it. Do you felt like the Texans really leaned on their in-house medical uh, here with Derek Stingley and maybe other places in the draft as well? Or is, was it just something as simple as they met with the kid, they saw his medical, and they don't have that concern? Right. I mean, they have a great team doctor, an orthopedist, and Dr. Walter Lowe. He's one of the best in the country, if not the world. Uh, and I look at it and I think, you know, you know, he was at the scouting combine. So he did all sure. the medical workups, everything that you could think of in terms of seeing x-rays, MRIs, being able to look at his foot. So they had a deep well of knowledge on everything about him. So it was just a, a very thorough examination. And I have yet to hear anyone from the organization, you know, I'm, I'm worried about it. I got wind that they were zeroing in on Stingley and this was the player Lovey Smith wanted. And right. I think they feel very good about this draft pick as a cornerstone. And, you know, like we said, you know, sometimes an injury predicts future injuries and sometimes an injury is something that happens once and you're okay. I've seen other players with Liz Franks though, like, you know, remember Kevin Johnson, he came back too soon. They had to redo the surgery. Uh, but oh, yeah, and they took I mean, that was one thing I was concerned about. Did, and I know there's different people in the building at that time. But was there some thought of, hey, we passed on Marcus Peters at the time and took Kevin Johnson. And I know Peters had some character concerns, but uh, they took Kevin Johnson. But 
I, I you know, hey especially here in Houston, I think Kevin Johnson gets it bad. We're a new type of doctor. I think with Kevin, you know, different injury, not a great surgery. And the issue becomes, you know, you think about Kevin and, you know, the history of Liz Franks, you know, these things, this is not a, a new injury. You know, it's been around for years. I think Kevin just had a bad result in terms yeah, of I mean, his Kevin, medical. Though, yeah, my- my my point being with the Kevin Johnson though his route recognition pre-draft when you evaluated him, his route recognition was superior to most prospects coming out but the frame you were concerned about again we heard Sidney Jones outside of Houston I think it was the Eagles that drafted him similar type frame now Stingley doesn't have that frame different type of concerns with him but uh, what I'm getting from you is the team is was all aboard on him from medical to the front office and I saw recently you spoke with cornerback coach Dino Vaso uh, what was his uh main takeaway about Derek Stingley, not only health-wise, but the prospect on the field in 2022. Right. The word he used was traits, and he said Hey, we lose Aaron? You know, here you have Kyler Murray, and people talking, they invest all that money, and they're worried about you know, him not watching tape and they have to put it in the contract that you'll watch at least four hours, which is really laughable because some guys might watch four hours in a day or more. Uh, so they're asking for four hours a week, which is uh, not much, but that's, you know, different, different team, different story. But what I'm hearing about Stingley from Dino is that he wants to ask a lot of questions. He wants to understand why he wants to know, you know, okay, well, what is the philosophy behind the defense? Not just, Tell me if I'm playing quarters or if I'm playing press or if I'm playing off. Really, he wants to know everything because he genuinely wants to know and be as good as possible. And I think that that's an important distinction for a young player. And everything I understand about him is he's very, very serious about football. He comes from a football family, as you know. His grandfather uh, played in the NFL. His father played arena football and is a coach. So he comes from that football background where you really look at him and you think that, you know, he's someone that you would imagine that has a high prediction of success, Jason, because it's important to him. It's not just, Oh, I'm got a $34 million contract and I just do this because I want to drive a nice car. No, not at all. I mean, not that those things are anything wrong with that, but Football competitor, smart, and in my conversation with Dino Basso, the cornerbacks coach, who will be his position coach, what I took away from it is that he is absolutely genuinely excited to coach him, likes him, and is impressed and considers him as advertised. Now, Aaron, you're not only a Houston Texans insider. I mean, you know this. You've been in this market. Man, how how long have you been in this market? I can't even remember when it Uh, was. Since 2015. So this will be my seventh year here. And, yeah, I came here from the Baltimore Sun. I joined the Houston Chronicle. I worked for the Houston Chronicle till last year. And then I worked for Sports Talk 790. I'm still a contributor with 790. And, uh in January, I joined Pro Football Network uh, to cover the league nationally, and I still cover the Texans locally 
every single day. So I kind of split my time and uh, I live near NRG stadium. So I'm always, you know, there at their practices and press conferences and games home and away. And yeah, that's important to me. I, I think that to know the team well, but yeah, I, I've been here for a minute now and uh, just really enjoy being in such a passionate and knowledgeable football city like Houston. And we have great people here, great businesses, and just a, you know, outstanding culture. Absolutely. And I love that, um, you know, we have, I'm able to do this podcast with you where we have an actual NFL insider and the Texans insider and you, you blend and mesh the two perfectly. Obviously they can follow you on Twitter. They probably already do at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL. And with that in mind, there was something I was thinking about today, heading into camp. I'm reading all of the camp reports coming out from different teams. Everybody's, you know, is looking awesome. Everybody's looking great. And obviously it's a little tongue in cheek, but in every single market, Houston included, uh, the team that drafted the players or signed the free agents going to have a little bit more of a rosy outlook and NFL front offices. Sometimes they give you something fair, but they could be a little bit more on the downside, depending on the prospect. That being said, we're going to call this the sweet and sour report where you kind of go Jekyll and Hyde here with what the Texans think about five offensive players and what the NFL front offices around the league think about these players. And I got five defensive players for you after that. We'll run this like a two minute drill and run quickly through this first stuff obviously we got to look at the second year quarterback davis mills what are you hearing about the texans opinions on davis mills going into year two right they're very excited about davis and they like his progression the way he understands the game like his arm they feel like he's got some arm talent and he's a little more mobile than maybe they looks he's a big guy but he can move and get himself out of trouble on occasion he can throw a little bit improvise on the run i you know have talked with a lot of people about what's his ceiling and they'll say honestly aaron you know we have to find that out and you know how well you know can he take this but the way he finished the season you know and there's that span where he had the nine touchdowns and just two interceptions right. he finished the season so well especially that chargers game that's mm -hmm. encouraging and i i think that his performances no, other than Mac Jones, he was statistically the second best rookie quarterback. So he did outperform Trevor Lawrence. He did outperform a Zach Wilson and Justin, Justin Fields. Fields yep. And Trey Lance played just a little bit. But, right. you know, those fair. other guys that were drafted, he's a third round pick. And if they have hit on in the third round with him, it's such an ideal scenario for them in terms of cap management and cash the Russell Wilson situation it'd be great so we'll see does it happen and, and I'm, not calling him, I'm not calling him build the salary yeah. the legion of doom all those scenarios which would be great scenarios for the Texans and their business and for the city and, and their fans but what I think of with him is that he works at it he organized throwing sessions in Atlanta. He traveled to Portland to have a throwing thing with Brandon Cooks. He, everyone wants to be there with him, the other quarterbacks included, Jeff Driscoll, Kyle Allen. Uh, he's able to be an organizer of these workouts. He's respected. Uh, I know that Brandon Cooks is really excited about him. 
you know, he worked with him and Tyrod Taylor, but he caught a lot of passes from him. He right. had 134 targets and 90 catches last year and six scores. And a lot of that production did come from footballs thrown by Davis Mills. So that's a good connection. They can build on that. And so they're if, excited about NFL front offices. You just wrote recently. I mean, so recently, like literally right before we uh, we started recording this evening, you wrote about uh, the Patriots second year quarterback, uh, Mac Jones. And uh, yourself and a lot of people have had high praise for him. He praised on him the entire offseason. But you talked about Davis Mills and Mac Jones uh, both finding success last year uh, far, far more than the other rookie rookie counterparts around the league at the quarterback position now that being said we haven't heard this type of buzz outside of houston on davis mills uh what are you hearing from nfl front offices opposing front offices on davis mills i think it's going to be you know when you think about davis i've had people tell me you know he would be a first round draft pick if he had been in this year's draft, I've had general managers and personnel guys and scouts tell me that, that in this year's draft, which obviously was not a great draft, that he would have been a first round pick. And I got to agree with them. You know, if you think about his tools, as opposed to Kenny Pickett, I mean, he is, you know, wiping the floor with Kenny. If you think about, you know, the type of tools that he has, so they would have drafted him. Someone would have picked him, I believe in the first round and people forget about his pedigree because he had so many injuries at Stanford. Sure. This was the top recruit in the country, Hmm. top ranked quarterback, blue chip. So it's not like he was ever like some slouch. He was supposed to be good. And I think that got lost in translation a little bit because Stanford wasn't very good. Sounds to me, Aaron, like uh, front offices, there's believers in front offices as well on the talent. It's just in the media that is not hype, it's not around it. And I get that. Uh, the Patriots organization and Texans organizations are not at the same level right now. You also got Belichick and last year Josh McDaniels working with them. So I understand that. Uh, a couple, four more guys on this offense that should have significant roles this year, either as rookies or in their second year. Let's run quick through these guys tight end brevin jordan uh texans first what what are you hearing uh, the texans thoughts well, they like him you know he's going to work in tandem with Farrell brown they feel like he can flex out he can do some things as a receiver he's a talented pass catcher he's gotten stronger physically he's about 245 250 pounds he's very well built he's been in the weight room a lot and he's improving as a blocker he is more of a get in front of you blocker rather than like a big drive blocker like anthony right. Claire. Uh, the big Canadian that plays for the Texans is a really underrated and good blocking tight end. And then Farrow is more of your combo tight end, and Brevin is a receiving tight end. And Brevin reminds me a little bit of Jordan Akins. And I think that Brevin's got upside. And, yeah, the opinions on him, hey, that's something people ask me about, and they want to know how's he progressing, what's going on with him. And, yeah, I think there's some curiosity about Brevin and – as much as people talk about him, they're probably talking more about Nico Collins, their second-year wide receiver. Yeah, we'll get to Nico here in a second as well, see what the Texans think about him. NFL front offices on Brevin Jordan quickly? It's, you know, just some people have tapped in. But for me to say that there's a lot of discussion about the Texans with every other front office. <laughs> That's yeah, fair I mean, enough. I don't want to, you know, exaggerate or at all, but uh, it's – you know, I'll, people will say something about, 
a Malik Collins. That was a good re-signing. Or they might ask me about Laramie Tunsil or Titus Howard uh, comes up, Brandon Cooks, Davis Mills, uh, John Grenard, and guys like Stingley. Or I've had a few other NFL people say, oh, man, I really wish I could have we could have drafted Christian Harris. I like him. Yeah, he's he's interesting. He's fast. And so the Texans on, they have a running back that should play a pivotal role this year. You also mentioned Nico Collins. The Texans, uh, obviously, when you select them, you're high on the guy. But what type of role do they think Damian Pierce can have year one? Right. The starting running back right now, RB1, is Marlon Mack. And it's kind of a committee deal. I think that Damian's going to have a role. But I don't know, and I know a lot of people, because he's a rookie and because he – you know, had some success with Florida, but it's like, oh, well, that's who they should plug in. This guy is coming off injuries. I look at it and I, I think you got to temper the expectations a little bit. He caught the ball well out of the backfield. When you really can tell about a guy like him is when it's live because he's a mm-hmm. tackle-breaking type of back. And right. so we'll see if what he did, how physical he was at the college level, how that translates. So I really want to – you know, tread lightly and uh, kind of a to be continued on that one to be determined because right. we haven't seen him. I'm sure he'll be physical, but what you do at college doesn't always, especially if you're not talking about guys that make people miss and being elusive because he is a power runner. So let's see, let's, let's let him get in some games and in some live drills. And then I can tell you more, but my expectation right now is that Marlon Mack, while not being a bell cow is looking like the primary back to me uh, you mentioned nico collins a little bit year two what did they think of his rookie season 33 catches 60 targets 55 percent catch rate for 446 yards and one touchdown what did they think on that rookie season what they've seen in this offseason they like him they think that he's going to build on it uh you know they don't make a lot of statistical that's something that more for fans and fantasy and media their whole thing isn't so much about well it's going to be this much for stats it's more about the plays that you make and the impact that you make. And, you know, it's more of a uh, kind of a feel for it. And how do you game plan? I look at him and the opinions on him are, are very strong. And I think he'll have a big second season. I was actually with his agents, uh, Drew Osnos and Ryan Matha at Emmanuel Agba's football camp in Houston. Agba, of course, <laughs> good pass rusher for the Miami Dolphins. And so uh, they brought up Nico pretty quickly in our conversation. And, you know, Drew's been around a long time, great agent, uh, one of the real, you know, more accomplished agents in NFL history. And he says, man, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Nico. And I know, of course, that, you know, he's biased because that's his guy. But, yeah, he's, he's getting a lot of great feedback because he talks to Nick Casario and guys like that. And so he's hearing good things, and so am I. Flipping to that defensive side, the Texans, Jonathan uh, Grenard last year, seven sacks just between weeks three through eight, uh, just one sack the rest of the year. Uh, what's their expectations for this year? Do they think that was a freak run of production, or do they feel like that's something he's going to build off of in 2022? No, they feel like it's sustainable. He has his pet move is that long arm, but he's got right. some other moves too, and there's some really good tape on John. And John's someone that really takes the game seriously. And I really enjoy talking football with John or about anything. Uh, Just a really high character young man that loves the game. And 
unfortunately he had injury. So he had a foot injury that required surgery. So he hasn't had as much of an off season. So camp is going to be very important to him. And he's been working a lot on the stability of his foot and on his balance and strengthening the foot. And, you know, I don't know what he'll do if they're going to have him be full go the first day. I think they'll ease him in. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was on one of the reserve lists. I'm not reporting that he will be, but they could put him on a reserve list to start camp and just to be cautious with him. But you're seeing that all over the NFL. When there's any type of injury at all or recovery from an injury, you're not just throwing them into the fire. So, and, and practice is light, by the way, and that's all collectively bargained. So don't look for uh, all these guys that tell you practice was this and there, this and that, and it's, it's so intense. These are like walkthroughs, and that's by the rules. They have to have a long ramp-up period, and the idea is to cut down on injuries. So while it might not be that exciting, it's what you do. And, you know, I think practice is really important, and so is training camp as an evaluation, a teaching period, an install. But it's intended for that. And I think some people's expectation of what an NFL practice is like nowadays is way skewed because – it's just generally what they use these practices for is to get some things done and to try to keep everybody healthy. It's that's the priority health and knowledge, not show how tough you are. Well, let's go with someone else. We're going to move right along on that defense. Stay on that defensive line. A guy you talked about uh, Malik Collins, the resigning earlier, uh, a guy that's been kind of pushed back in the depth chart because of Malik Collins' play is Ross Blacklock. This is a big year for him that he's got to has to prove his value and worth this year. Is that opportunity going to arise for him, or is he going to be able to to take that opportunity and just take it by the throat? I'm sorry, which player take take it by the throat? Ross Blacklock. Oh, Ross. Well, you know, Ross right now is slated to be in a rotation. He's not in line for a starting job. So Malik Collins and Ross and uh. <clears throat> They'll be the three techniques, but you'll see, you know, over on the other spot is Roy Lopez. So Roy Lopez, essentially, even though it's a four-man line, he's like the nose tackle type. And I think Ross is better as a three than at nose. Some people have said, well, would he be more of a gap shooter at the nose tackle spot? But he's not really, you know, he's about 290. He's not as heavy as Roy. I think he's better at three. I think it's his best position, but... There's no way he's taking out Malik. Malik is uh, very disruptive. And so Ross is going to have to earn his time in that rotation. And, yeah, he's made progress. He has great potential. And I think he's continuing to get better and better every year. Uh, But obviously when you do get picked in the second round, people would hope for you to be a starter and all those things. And I understand that. But, you know, Malik is, I feel like, a very underrated and special interior defensive lineman if you just watch the tape i know he has a tendency to sometimes get some penalties uh but watch what he does guy is very hard to block behind those guys on that defensive line aaron we've got uh another rookie here christian harris another alabama kid coming out so they have close ties down there to alabama uh what would they hear in pre-draft, and how do they envision him? If I, if you allow me, expand a little bit more to wrap this in there. But who is going to join the Christian linebacker corps? Obviously, Christian Harris and Christian Kirksey. 
who's going to be that third linebacker? When you're talking base packages, who's going to be that third guy? Because they have right. a, a wealth of depth there. Well, Christian um, did work with the ones in some of the spring journals, but we also saw Garrett Wallow quite a bit, the fifth-round pick last year from Texas Christian. And I feel like, you know, he took a little more time with the ones than – Christian, we'll see if that continues in fall. It's a competitive situation, but if you had to ask me right now, who's the third linebacker? You know, really, it's Christian Kirksey, it's Kamu Gruger Hill, as long as his knee is completely recovered. He was not 100% during the spring. He didn't do any drills at all. He was just working on a side field running. So he was in a brace. We'll see. He had knee surgery, so we're going to find out. If he's healthy, if everyone's healthy, then I think eventually it's going to be Christian Kirksey, Kama Gruger Hill, and then Garrett Waller or Christian Harris. And, you know, I'm not seeing like Kevin Pierre Lewis or like Cashman getting into the starting lineup at this time, or Neville Ewood, who's a, a good backup and kind of a old school linebacker, a, a thumper type, uh, who I thought played great in the Miami game last year. But I, I feel like it's going to be a competition. Wallow and Christian Harris, two guys uh, from the state of Louisiana and good young linebackers. And it takes more than three. You know, you're going to. Yeah, absolutely. Especially over a 17 game season. You're going to need four or five guys. And Kirko, that's what they call Kirksey, is the defensive captain. He's the green dot guy. He's kind of the extension of Lovey Smith out there. He's the signal caller. And, you know, I feel like, you know, when he was healthy <clears throat> before the thumb surgery, he was a better tackler. He was a harder hitter. So I want to see what he's like this year when he's, you know, healthy now, which, which he is. So, you know, we'll see if he can get, get more done. Kamu was great at shooting gaps. I thought he had an excellent season. And if not for the knee injury, he was going to make more money. And I think that affected his value a bit and, you know, how much he could get from other teams and what he could get from the Texans. So, yeah, he's back and kind of a bargain considering how good he's like safety speed. And, you know, do they have the biggest linebacking core? No, but they have some fast guys, especially Christian Harris, who played DB in high school. He's extremely fast. He's a 4 4, yeah. legitimately. Hey. And they have depth as well. Um, I'm going to come back to the the edge here in the second uh, there in the front seven. But I want to focus on that secondary before we move on. They had two rookies in there and Derek Stingley Jr. and Jalen Petrie that should be heavily involved. Uh, obviously, Stingley Jr. is drawing all the praise, rightfully so. But Jalen Petrie is a guy that I didn't think would make it out of the first round in the draft. Well, how do they think these guys will pair? And I saw a little Buddha Baker in Jalen Petrie's game. Do you think we see the Texans go big dime with like three nickels and three safeties with Petrie kind of being a little Buddha Baker at times for Lovey? Right. Yeah, I think they will want him to force the action. I think that he could be good for them as a run enforcer, uh, as a blitzer. I think he has some of the ability – I thought Justin Reed was a good blitzer, and uh, that was one of the things Lonnie Johnson actually did well when they did send him after the quarterback, like the Patriots game when they beat Cam Newton. They've got an opportunity with Jalen because he's kind of a Swiss Army knife where he can play nickel, he can play safety, he can play up or back, and I think that's really going to help them. But between him and I project Eric Murray, 
right. for those to be the guys. But don't count out Jonathan Owens, especially because he's rangy, he's physical, and he has experience. So he knows a lot. And, yeah, I, I think that you'll hear from J.O. in this. And I think I'm looking at more of like a three-safety kind of situation. And there could be alignments where they have all those guys on the field. Yeah, now at that cornerback position, not only Derek Stingley added, but, I mean, you're probably looking at your top two starters being new acquisitions when you're talking about Stingley and Steven Nelson, who I thought was a uh, a great value find for the Texans organization. Uh, I would imagine in nickel you're going to get some Desmond King. Um, let me know what they think about this pairing of Stingley and Nelson. If I'm off on nickel, correct me on that. And also in dime coverage, are we looking more at Tamir Thomas, Trayvon Smith, or uh, newly acquired Foster Moreau? Right. You're going to see their ideal is that Derek Stingley is going to be cornerback one and that he will shadow the top receiver. And Oh, wow. The rookie yeah. season? That's what Lovey Smith said. So wow. We'll see. Uh, you know, coaches can say or make lots of plans. We'll see, you know, is that carried out? But he said it, so you know, I'm going off of what he said. And Steven Nelson is a great number two corner, and I think that they've upgraded by having a guy that's a pure outside corner, whereas last year they're having played Desmond King who's more of a nickel outside, yeah. and I see him getting back into that nickel role, Desmond, which is sure. his natural role. That, that makes then, the most sense. Right, and Tavier Thomas is – supposed to play more special teams but he did develop into a productive and instinctive defensive back last year and that was his best season as a defensive player so they'll look to build on that they just love Tavier I don't really get too much in the classifications I kind of I'm with I'm with Lovey on this just a pure football player and if you watch Tavier closely and if you get to know him You'll see the joy. I don't want to get wax too poetic here, but the passion <laughs> and the love, love for the game. Uh, you know, and I mean, I'm fortunate. I do get to know some of these guys, and I can tell you, I vouch for Tavier Thomas uh, and Desmond. These guys are. Wait, 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 wait! Are you taking it to the table? Are we got going mafia here. You vouching for them like um, Pacino <laughs> to Johnny Depp here. Like, I mean, they, they might whack you now yeah. man, if, if this guy doesn't show up now. You're calling your shot on this one. I'm telling you, this guy is what they say, well-intentioned and tough. Nice. And he, he's he got uh, – I don't know if everybody knows his story. I'll just tell it in a nutshell. He didn't qualify academically, so he had to walk on at a place called Ferris State. He's from Detroit, Michigan. So he goes to a small school, Division two, and then he earns his scholarship and he becomes an All-American, and he intercepts a ton of passes. And he grew up with Desmond. And now that they, they were oh, wow. friends growing up in Detroit, and now they play for the same team. They're very close oh, friends. Awesome. But, yeah, uh, Tavier really, you know, as I say, got it from the mud. Like, this guy had to really grind to, to get it, proved himself with the Browns, became one of the best special teams players. And now he's proving that he's a good defensive player. And You know, I'm not saying – none of this, uh, for anyone listening at home, am I out here – saying this guy is like one of the best DBs in the NFL. No, but I'm just telling you, the, the guy's good. He's, he's a good dude, and um, his teammates, his coaches love him. And I sit up and take notice because I like to talk to football players and coaches and hear what they have to say. And then right. if that bears out in my read, I'd like to you know think of myself as a good judge of people or a good judge of a football player. And uh, I've come away with an overwhelmingly positive opinion in one year of Tavier Thomas. 
All right, that's awesome to hear. You're vouching for them there, and so if you go swimming for the fishes, don't blame me. <laughs> so here we go now. I, before we leave the defensive side of the ball, Aaron, um, they didn't really make the splash. They obviously being the Texans there in the NFL draft at the top of it, choosing to go with Derek Stingley, which uh, – could have been the might be the right decision, obviously. Uh, and then the free agency, they didn't bring in that high dollar guy as well. But this unit with Nick Casario here, it makes a lot of sense. But this unit to me reminds me of that 2016 Pats Pats pass rush. And Trey uh, Flowers had seven sacks. Jabal Sheard had five. Chris Long and Rob Mikovich each had four. And you think about the Texans going back to, I think, 2018 is the last time. And it was Davion Clowney and J.J. Watt at the time that they've had two guys with like five plus sacks, if I'm remembering correctly. That being said, they bring in several guys that on paper, again, they're not that big name, but Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Rasheen Green, uh, on down the line, Jordan Jenkins, guys that, like in Addison's case, averaged eight sacks since 2014, five-plus sacks each year since then. Jerry Hughes, seven quarterback hits last year, would have ranked them second, and he's had uh, he hasn't had less than four sacks in the season since 2012. I'll I'll shut up here, but I mean I think it's like probably the best depth the Texans have had, and I'm saying depth. I'm not talking top end talent, but depth wise, Aaron, what do they think about this unit? And does it remind you of that 2016 Patriots unit? Yeah, I think that the idea that Nick Casario had was is to one build in some proven players that are leaders because he saw a deficiency there in terms of experience that yes he had some good young players and some guys in their 20s but what about adding some seasoned pros like jerry Hughes, who's from here from sugarland played his high school football here then played at tcu has every move in the book works very hard sort of a i would say someone that tries to master the craft of pass rushing he's very technique strong and he's he's still explosive and i had a chance to watch some of his drills that he was doing along with Malik uh, up close and personal with their private coach, Brandon Jordan, who now works at Michigan state. And I watched him, you know, hit the sled. I watched him go through all of his drills, work on everything. And he was really a perfectionist watching him kind of in the lab, if you will, Jason, uh, just trying to get better. And you don't have that many sacks by accident. Same thing with Mario Addison, another older player they signed. So, between John Grenard and Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes and Malik Collins is an inside rusher. And uh, they do have some depth. They do have some guys you could say, well, I could see him getting five or seven or four sacks. So there's a collection of guys. Is it going to get to 50 like the Rams? I don't know, but I I think they've got a fighting chance and they're solid. This is a defensive line. They're now coached by Jock Casare. Uh, former NFL defensive lineman for the Chargers, who was with the Bills. He was assistant D-line coach. So he's coached Jerry. He's coached Mario. And now he takes over with these guys. They did draft Thomas Booker, who a lot, a lot of people have talked about. He sure looks the part. Uh, he's like a quadzilla out there. The guy's got big, strong legs. He's very, very athletic. Yeah, I think we've all seen the pictures. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah he, he's, he's, he looks the wise. part. Uh, and he moves well, so – and, and I know, uh, obviously, he was a Stanford man and a William Campbell Award uh, nominee, all of those things. So, yeah, he's legit. They have a no. chance, definitely, to put together. Is it a bunch of stars? No. 
you're right about that. There isn't a star. There are some guys, though. And Grenard showed me that he could be a 10-sack guy. So if that happens, they've got a chance to be solid and productive because they have to be. Because in Lovey Smith's defense, you know they don't blitz much. And because they don't blitz much, the defensive line's got to get a rush. So if they don't, I mean, ideally what this defense would have is a J.J. Watt and a Clowney or a Hutchinson or something like that to get after the quarterback. And because they don't have that, it's going to have to be a committee approach. Yeah, and I think when you talk about older vets on that line with a blend of younger guys, obviously Jonathan Grenard being that face of the pass pass rush that you hope to see him continue to grow on 2021, um, I think uh, you just look at the the way it's set up, Roy Lopez, Malik Collins, Jonathan Grenard, and whichever one of the vets you want to put in there, but they have it too deep with Ross Blacklock, Thomas Booker you talked about, and then whether it's Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Racine Green, Jordan Jenkins, Grenard, Ogbanya, I mean, right down the line, you've got a legit too deep for a healthy pass rush because those guys do have to win those one-on-ones to, to be able to get home. Now I want to flip back over to the offense offensive side to one of the big stories and I don't know if it's just people trying to make the tie because of Garoppolo and Nick Nick Casario but there's so much talk about the Texans need to go get Jimmy Garoppolo it makes so much sense the Texans are just waiting this out I I don't think it makes sense to me I don't think the contract even if the 49ers pay a big sum of that I think this year offensively is about who Davis Mills is and so Garoppolo would just be a backup and you're not playing for a title this year to where you need a high dollar backup and the young guys behind them whether it's Kyle Allen Jeff Driscoll or Kevin Hogan who's so familiar with Pep Hamilton uh, I think they've got guys they're comfortable with but tell me if I'm wrong what are your thoughts with all the consistent talk month over month about Garoppolo and the Texas making sense for him I think the Browns make the most sense for Garoppolo right yeah I don't really feel like this is the right spot for him and I don't think they want to do anything to challenge or usurp davis mills so no nothing i'm hearing is that this is the destination i think it it could even be something unpredictable like atlanta falcons but again they want to try to get desmond redder ready it's just it's hard to find the fit and i think his best chance is an injury or maybe them being dissatisfied in seattle and i know what seattle's gonna do they're gonna run the football so you know, they might feel like, okay, we can get by this year with Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Maybe they feel like they could do that. It's going to come down to money and the draft compensation. And they've announced it. They didn't need to, but they made it very official that Trey Lance is the quarterback and that they've informed Jimmy that Trey is the quarterback. And so everybody's on the same page. I don't think that's a surprise. From the day they drafted Trey, the clock was ticking on Jimmy's starting status and now is over Trey is the quarterback so Jimmy's got to get healthy and in a couple of weeks he'll probably be ready to do something and then once that box is checked I don't think they'll let him do a lot in practice but if he's able to post some throwing videos maybe the phone calls will heat up but right now no yeah I don't see that happening I don't see the you know Texans being a team for Jimmy Garoppolo and everyone that says wants to connect the dots, connect the dots. Journalism is lazy, right? It doesn't get it done. It's, are they actually interested? 
and I haven't heard of the Texans wanting to do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it makes sense for them, but I mean, I could be wrong. And to double back again at the beginning of the episode, I talked about your latest article on Mac Jones, and you don't have to go in depth on it. But again, I want to make a comparison here to what Mac Jones and Davis Mills did last year. This is their stats side by side, apples to apples. Mac 67.6 completion percentage mills right on them at 66.8 uh mac had a 92.5 rating mills 88.8 uh mac passed for 224 passing yards a game the mills is 205 mac 7.0 yards per attempt mills right there at 6.8 and maybe uh the most identical is mac jones 4.2 touchdown uh ratio to 2.5 interception ratio almost identical just a tick below davis mills at 4.1 touchdown ratio to 2.5 interception ratio and davis mills as you mentioned only played he played as many games in college only 13 not counting the two passes in the freshman game uh and 11 starts the exact same amount he played last year as a rookie and to be able to put up those numbers with mac jones without the offensive line with all the injuries on the offensive line without the tight end talent of hunter henry and john new smith the coaching talent of belichick and josh mcdaniels i feel like there should be a little bit more hype of, on davis mills especially when we factor in the lack of experience and out of his nine road interceptions, the guy went 12 and one, 12 touchdowns, one interceptions at home last year. And of his nine interceptions on the road, six of them came in his first two road starts with four at Buffalo and two at the Colts. So am I overanalyzing this? Uh, it, just correct me, but your article on Mac Jones and where nationally there's not that buzz on Davis Mills, are these two guys closer than what the, the typical consensus belief is i've still got to put mac a little higher just based on what did they do he beat out cam newton he's a first round pick he had a big time career at alabama and then he goes into a fairly complex offense he doesn't have very good receivers except for jacoby myers so he didn't have a lot to work with and he faced some limitations. I, I would take the Patriots receivers and two tight ends over the Texas receivers and two tight ends last year. Top talent being Brandon Cooks, but after that, none of them are great. Right. Conley, I just feel yeah. like they have more of a system and they have some good offensive line, some you know healthier and deeper line. Uh, they had Josh McDaniels, so he had a you know arguably a much better offensive coordinator than Tim Kelly, you know, last year, this year he gets to play with Pep Hamilton. So maybe we will see it. Maybe it will be more even more closer, but we just, you know, everything we're hearing from Bill Belichick is how great Mac Jones is looking. And I'm hearing a lot of good things about Mac and the work ethic and same thing with Davis. So let's mm -hmm. see, because Davis wasn't, it's a different situation. So it's apples and oranges because Davis wasn't the starter. He wasn't allowed to, compete with Tyrod Taylor. He didn't enter the year as the guy. And then he was in and out because of Tyrod's health. And once they committed to him because Tyrod was struggling, then he took off. But it took time. It was the same situation with Deshaun Watson and Tom Savage. And I, mean, right. and, and no, I get the point about not yeah. having the pressure about being the first-round pick, Mac Jones, uh, being the guy, first-round mm -hmm. pick after Tom Brady. I think he was a 17-game starter, yeah. though. And, and right. you don't have point. that for – for Davis and I would say Davis, you know, Mac is a reason, one of the reasons why he wasn't just long for the ride, why they go 10 and seven in the AFC East 
in a, which is tough. You know, they got the Buffalo Bills in that division. And I thought, considering the people they played, that he looked really good. And I, yeah, I, I just think that he has shown a little more, but he's also had the opportunity to show a little more. He's with a better franchise. And no offense to David Cully and Lovey, but he's got Bill right. Belichick. So that he's got exactly. a real ace. And, and, and a head coach this year was his off- OC last year and Josh McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels, a quick side note, seems yep. like he's really learned from his time in Denver. This seems like a different guy. I like what he's actually doing with the Raiders. Absolutely. I think that he's off to a good start. And I think he's not trying to be Belichick Jr. this time. And that's going to help him behoove him and the Raiders. And he's working with his best friend, Dave Ziegler, who's the general manager for the Raiders. So they have good synergy there. And they're having fun in Vegas. And they've got Devontae Adams. They've got Derek Carr. They're going to have a great connection. Those guys were college teammates in Fresno State. They've Mm -hmm. got Darren Waller. They've got a lot of good things happening with the Raiders. And some people think they're going to be the division winner out there. We'll see. But I think that might be a bit of a stretch. People that have picked the Raiders to win that division. But I, I like the Raiders. I think they're a playoff team again. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you. And before we get out of here on this first episode where we break down the Houston Texans roster front to back, uh, let's just put a cap on that. Um, we'll get to that offensive line at the last point. But before we get into that, you talked about that running back situation and how Damian Pierce, you know, you're not sure if they're ready to push him in at first. But I had some concerns, and I just wanted to circle back on it because Marlon Mack has 32 carries since 20. 19 is he the same back is he going to stay healthy and if he isn't then do they go to rex burkhead who saw his career high in carries last year with 122 in houston and out of 49 qualified rushers he was dead last with a 3.50 yards per carry so i don't think burkhead's the guy i don't think max stays healthy how big is damian pierce's role or is there a guy in royce freeman or dari that comes in to this um competition as a, a real a real threat or maybe the waiver wire we haven't talked about the texans being third and waiver wire from now all the way to the third week of the regular season i don't see an outside back coming in and being the guy i think it's going to be a committee approach much like last year and they will give mac a first crack to establish himself and show that he's you now he's two years removed from the achilles that he can you know kickstart what was a promising career. He was once a thousand yard rusher, which isn't a huge barometer. I know with many games they play, but he showed that he could be that kind of back. So I think they're going to give him first opportunity. Rex is supposed to be more special teams and third down and change of pace. He had a good season. They gave him a good contract. They actually pay him more than they pay Marlon Mack. But I think Marlon for now, he enters camp as RB one. I can't really judge Pierce because he's not the fastest back in the world until it comes time to break some tackles. So I'm, I'm reserving judgment on whether he's going to become a bell cow type. I don't foresee that. I think he'll be, you know, short yardage and a change of pace. And maybe he eventually becomes the number two back. But for right now, yeah, I'm still seeing Marlon Mack as the guy, or at least the closest thing to the guy that they have. I'm betting on Damian Pierce. I'm going to vouch for Damian Pierce. I studied his film. I liked him. A couple other guys I thought they could have gone with, but there uh, made a lot of sense with the backs that were off the board. Damian Pierce was the back that I liked for him 
who was still available at that point when they selected. I'm buying on Damian Pierce today. I'll vouch for him, Aaron. So we both got our next All right. Now I like I like. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, just put the last up so we've gone completely over both sides of the ball on offense and defense. That offensive line, you got Laramie Tonsil back at, I mean, coming back for left tackle, Titus at right tackle, free agent AJ Khan. I'm imagining he's going to be right guard like he did in Jacksonville mostly. Kenyon Green, the rookie, should pencil in at 11 guard with Justin Brent. If that's the case, what do you think about this line? And is Laramie Tonsil here for the long haul with Titus' contract coming up? Is this a guy they can accumulate even more first-round pick, pay Titus and kick him the left tackle, or are these bookend Texan tackles because they don't have a quarterback they have to pay? Great questions. All kind of to be continued, especially on Laramie Tunsil because he's paid a lot of money. Is he a luxury item for a team like this? Do they want to continue to do that, or are they going to have to make a decision? you know, explore trades, just see, you know, how does it all fit? They decided to do a paper restructure this year, did a simple conversion. He's already essentially been paid for the entire season. He, most of his salary, he got in a bonus. So, you know, Laramie has been well-paid. Now they need Laramie to deliver and he can. And, you know, if he's healthy and the team is relevant, I think he'll be around. But, you know, if there's injury problems again, and, you know, if the team isn't very good and he's an asset, Nick Cassero wouldn't hesitate to trade him. With mm. Titus, I think Titus is really much better at right tackle than left tackle, and everyone will see that this year, that he's a natural right tackle that may earn a second contract from these guys. They are open-minded to it, as is he, of potentially doing a second deal. So they, you know, when you look at where this thing could go, yeah, you could have bookend tackles, but it might just be for this year. We have to see... How it goes, yes, A.J. Cannon's the right guard. Justin Britt is the center. And the left guard is Kenyon Green. I think Kenyon next to Laramie is something to watch because Laramie and Kenyon could be a really powerful and athletic left side. And that could be the strong side for these guys. Uh, I think it could be a really great tandem between them. But they wasted, in my opinion, time. I, regardless of, you know, that, well, they just needed someone to play guard. It was terrible at guard last year and it's not Titus's spot. And it was just a bunch of guys, Lane Taylor sometimes, or, you know, having uh, Justin McCray and McCray's a good backup. He's a solid guy, but you just don't want him as your starter. So the starting five is good and they've got a tiny bit of depth. Max Sharping is not, you know, he's lost his starting job. No one's even talking about him competing for a starting job anymore. And, you know, that's not good when you're a second-round pick. Right. They, I think Charlie Heck is a solid backup swing tackle. But, you know, I don't think he's a you know great starter. So, yeah, that's their line where you have a couple of viable backups like McCray and Heck. But they can't afford any injuries. But they're like most offensive lines, right? No one can get hurt or there's a big problem. Right, that's it for Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. And our first episode is in the book with Texans Camp kicking off this Friday. I'll leave you with this, my undrafted free agent surprise. Uh, I'm watching Myron Cunningham, 6'6", 320 pounds, 6'10", wingspan, 34 and a half inch arms. Uh, his practice squad might be a ceiling this year, but in the long haul, that's my little sleeper going into camp that I want to check out. Aaron, you want to leave him with the undrafted guy or someone under the radar that you expect big things? from uh, except uh other than Tavir Thomas uh probably Tristan McCollum 
uh, Tristan's real Ooh. rangy six uh, from Sam Houston State. I, I think right. he's going to stick. I, I think he would at least be someone you'd want for the practice squad. But yeah, Tristan, whose uh, twin brother plays for the Buccaneers, I, I think he's a really nice signing for them. They put a lot of guaranteed money into Tristan. And yeah, very rangy, really. Uh, and I've gotten to know him a little bit. I interviewed him and his brother actually uh, at the same time before the draft. This is a football family, and he's a winner. He's an academically strong kid he's uh got a track background and he can run he tested really well he was very productive at sam houston i know he's making a big jump from sam houston to the nfl but um i think the mccollum brothers are real winners and this was a really good undrafted signing for houston He's Aaron Wilson. I'm Jason Braddock. We want to thank Mark Larson uh, for producing, making us sound good this evening. First episode, season one, episode one. We got many to come every week, year long, with the NFL insider and your Texans insider, Aaron Wilson. That's it for episode one in the book. Until next week. Mm-hmm.